Acts chapter 3, and I'll be reading from verse 11 to 17. The subject that I will want to share uh, with us today is the apostolic response to miracles. Acts chapter 3, verse 11 to 17. While he clung to Peter and John, all the people, utterly astounded, ran together to them in the portico called Solomon's. And when Peter saw it, he addressed the people, Men of Israel, why do you wonder at this? Or why do you stare at us as though by our own power or piety or holiness, we have made him walk. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorified his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. And you killed the author of life, whom God raised from the dead. To this we are witnesses. And his name, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man this perfect health in the presence of you all. The word of the Lord. Father, let your word come to us with healing on its wings. Let your word penetrate the depth of our hearts. Who can know the depth of the heart of man except your word? Let your candle, your word, search the heart of the belly. And let your word come with clarity, with profundity and simplicity. That all the faithful will go away from here rejoicing that they've met you. Hide me, Lord, behind the cross and let these that have come to this world today see Christ and Christ alone. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. Please may you return to your seats. The subject again is the apostolic response to miracles. What miracle? The miracle that had happened previously in verse 1 to about 10, you recall that there is a man lame from birth. Uh, the man was over 40 years old, had been laid by the gate called Beautiful, uh, the temple gate. And Peter and John were going in uh, to pray, the hour of prayer, and then they healed this man. And the healing of this man had brought uh, an, a kind of 
uproar. Kind of, people were rushing because the man was hanging on to Peter and John and screaming. And then people came around in amazement to see what had happened to this man. So I want us to consider how Peter and John responded to this event that had happened. How they answered the people is what we would like to see today. Uh, the response went up to the end of chapter 3, but for the sake of time, I am dividing into two, up to verse 17 today, and we will finish the rest, God willing, mm, when I return back to the pulpit uh, again. You know, with all due respect, I'm just saying this with all due respect, you must come to this passage with humility. And I'm, I'm mentioning again and again that the book of Acts has been the Achilles heels of many pastors, particularly some of the pastors in our own context. Uh, if you go to the book of Acts, you think is generally uh, prescriptive. Prescriptive means you are looking at the book of Acts and you are thinking, oh, Peter, do, Peter, do, Peter did that, I should be doing that. And then you begin to work yourself hard to repeat what Peter and John or Paul, what they were doing in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is, is descriptive. It's a narrative. It's not particularly a doctrinal book like uh, Timothy, Titus, uh, Pastoral Epistle, Romans, uh, Thessalonians, and all those books. This is an account. Look. Dr. Luke is relating an account that happened uh, after a thorough research about what the church was doing and what was happening to the early church. The church at this point were in its foundations. And the thing that happened during these foundations, many of them were not, uh, cannot be repeated because of obvious reasons they were planting a church that will last to the second coming of the Lord Jesus Christ. I've mentioned that before. So this weekend, the, when we do have our conferences, pastors do come from various churches to attend our conferences. And there's one I took notice, and I learned he's having a program in this church, uh, Hour of a Counter. And I said, okay, let me just go and see, since this guy come around, let me just go and see him. Let me see what he does. Because among all the guys that come around, they say he's the one that is very strong in the world. You know, this idea of the world now is another different thing. So I went to see. And I sat down. Luckily, he was coming up to the pulpit when I walk in. And then he, he turned to the book of Acts chapter 3. I said, oh, goodness. We are on the same page. And then he read, he read this passage. And then began to talk. You can imagine. And then he said, it is an error to be born again and see lame people around you and you cannot make them walk. And he said, the reason why the churches are not making the lame today is that we don't have power. And if you want to make lame walk, do miracles, go and get power. And then he was under three minutes, he quotes about ten scriptures from, uh, before you open, he asked, before you, I was just, okay. Some of you that have not yet released, how many of you have raised a lame person before? Let me just check. Uh, just, just, uh, how many apostles do you have here that have raised? 
If you have not raised any person before, maybe your faith is not very uh, strong. See me after service. Uh, <laughs> maybe if you bring some uh, seed, you just do some impartations. And then you have power. And then you go around. And, and I was like, oh. And I said, look at what Peter is saying. He said, why are you looking at us as if it's our power? <laughs> and uh, holiness, making this man to walk. And uh, it was, be very careful when you come to the miracles you see in the Bible, particularly the, the one that performed by Jesus and the apostles. And not to think that you are Jesus or the apostles. You are going to, you are going to die with sorrows and disappointments. Because many lame people will not work. Trust me. I mean, just trust me. All you need to know is go to National Hospital and try to make them work. And then you will see that it's not as easy. Uh, it's not by shouting. So Peter came through this experience. And now people are looking at them. You know, like, wow. Woo! These are men of God. And I said, well, if I'm from Peter, you know, when I say, these are real men of God. Say, yeah, 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 we are men of God. And all eyes on them. You know, miracles have the propensity to draw crowd, isn't it? Oh, no. It, apart from the amazement that miracle creates, there's an entertainment value in miracle. You know, I used to like it when I'm in some meetings, and particularly women are falling. Then bring her up here, and then they bring her up again, and then down you go, and then the tie clothes around their waist, and then, and it, sometimes it's like it's, it's entertaining. But the pastor and Satan are sweating; they are just they are soaked. Come out, come out, and then the Satan's not coming out, and then you are like, "What is your name? Oh, what have you done to him? Oh, I remove uh, his stars. Okay, where is the star now? Say it's in an state. Oh, go to his, sorry, sorry, I don't understand." Just pulling your holy legs. Can be entertaining. And Peter just turned to the crowd and said, Guys, don't look at us. He removed their eyes from themselves and removed their eyes from the person that has been healed. And took it back and took their and focused their eyes on God, isn't it? He says not by power and holiness. You know, the mistake would be. Jesus said in chapter 1 of Acts verse 8, you shall receive when the Holy Ghost. That's where many of us stop. Power to do what? So, when Peter says it's not by our power and holiness, what do you think he's talking about? Is it like saying that? He's just saying we are channels. We are not the source. And there's a difference between channel and source. Let me give you an analogy. If you do not grow up in the village, sorry. But if you grew up in the rural areas, you, you will notice that there are a lot of rivers, small, small rivers that flows around, around the mountains. And there's a, there's a water source, isn't it? It's the water source that control the channel. The channel and the source are not equal. Even where there is no natural channel, water will always find its way, isn't it? If there is a pumping from the underground water, over time the water will break some rocks and then the water will find its way. The channel is just a channel. The channel is not a source. 
and he's saying the capacity to do miracle, I'm talking about miracle in his real sense, does not reside in the human power or pietism. It takes much more than power and holiness to make the lame to walk, particularly the lame that don't walk from birth. And that's what you'll be explaining subsequently. It is not, there's no human power that can conjure a thing to raise the dead or the lame. It is God walking through his apostles because he had promised them that in his name there will be a marker, there will be an apostolic mark upon their ministry so they can use that opportunity to preach the gospel. So he responded in this way. The first thing we see, there are three things that I want us to look at, is that the first thing we notice from his response is that Peter's response, the apostolic response, explained the cross. It explained the cross. Verse 13. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorify his servant Jesus, whom you delivered over and denied in the presence of Pilate when he had decided to release him. But you denied the holy and righteous one and asked for a murderer to be granted to you. You know, what Peter is saying is that let's pack the miracle at the corner for a moment and talk about why this is happening. The cross. The event of the cross is the most is the height of human wickedness ever seen. At the cross, two contrasting experiences are laid bare before our face. One is the height of sin, and the second is the depth of love, the height of sin. These people, the Jews, delivered Jesus to Pilate, Jesus of Nazareth. They denied him. Even when Pilate was willing to let him go, they refused. They made a substitution between a murderer and the Holy One of Israel. The man that they were killing was not just an ordinary man, they know it. He had done a lot of miracles to authenticate his messianship. But nevertheless, blinded by jealousy, they crucify him. But this man is called the Holy One of Israel, the author of life. It is that the life giver, it's himself, was denied life by sinful men. New Testament commentator uh, William Buckley, a Scottish commentator, said this. He said, the early preachers always stress the basic fact that the crucifixion was the greatest crime in human history. And he said, whenever they speak of it, there is a kind of shocked horror in their voices. They tried to stab men's minds that the realization of the sheer crime of the cross, it is as if say, look what sin can do. And I can add, with carefulness, that what sin cannot do does not exist. That 
the author of life that if, if it is possible, sin can take God out of the way, can snuff life out of God. Church, are you following me? Sin is so heinous. Sin is so daring that it denies the author of life, life itself, except that God raised him back to life. At the cross, we see the display of our sinfulness, the sin, the sin that Adam committed in the Garden of Eden that had come to us by human generation is sin. It's a display. The killing of Jesus Christ of Nazareth is the zenith of all crime. There is no criminality like it ever in world history. Of course, death is death, isn't it? For instance, it, I'm sure in this country, people have died this morning in Cardona State, in Plateau State, in all, in all these places. The news just go, uh, 51 people died in a village of, of Kukuma. Oh, pass. But what if the president died this morning? Think of it. Death is death. Crime is crime. But the person that killed me this morning and the person that killed Tinubu this morning, both of them have committed crime, okay? But it's of different level, isn't it? The person that killed me just, just homicide. But the president is treason. It is that you've killed the entire country because the sovereignty of the country is comprehended in the presidency, the president. So when they touch Jesus Christ, it's like the entirety of life was snuffed out of existence. And at the cross, we saw the height of sin. But much more than that, Peter is telling them that at the cross, the depth of God's love was displayed. And we see two basic facts to express this. One is that God will allow his son, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and God of Jacob, the God of our fathers, glorify his servant. Jesus was so much more than his son. Jesus was so much more than the second person of the Trinity. Jesus, as the prophet Isaiah will put it, is God's servant. We are going to read that scripture in, in a moment. He's God's servant. In, he said, this is my beloved son. In, in him, I found my love is expressed in him. That God will watch his son humiliated for the sake of us, his love. Love is seen at the cross when God look away and see his son, his servant suffer. But much more than that, look at verse 15. God raised him back to life. I mean... Thank God we are not God. If I send you a messenger to help you and you kill him, well, you blew it. You blew it. That is yours. That is yours. If, if God were to be us, the moment we killed Jesus, that would have been it. If I raise him behind the scene, take him to heaven and then allow you to die in your sin. But he raised him. Raised him publicly, giving us hope. The Bible says in Romans chapter 4 that he was, he was delivered for our transgressions, but he was raised for our justification. 
Peter is responding to miracle. You can see that, you can see how the apostle responds. He didn't say, okay, calm down, calm down, guys. You see this girl that we raise? That's what we do. We are apostles. Go and bring more people, bring more people, bring more people, bring more people. And how many of you need more power to raise this thing? Raise up your hand. I bring uh, oil. To, you know, he said, he, he, he moved away from themselves and from the phenomena to the cross. Straight away to the cross. That and the event that happened in Jerusalem, not quite long from this moment, was a display of wickedness and love. That when we look upon the cross, love and hate lies side by side. The apostolic sermon explained the cross. Secondly, the apostolic sermon explained the way of salvation. He explained to them how wicked they were, but he moved on to talk about what those wicked events were achieving. And he's saying that these, these wickedness that had come to us and have found its highest expression on the cross can only be remedied in one man, the cross, the cross that they were killing. And there is no salvation in any other, say Peter, uh, that only in Christ Jesus they can be saved. And why do we think that Jesus alone saves? He saves. There are three things that Peter points out in his sermon that positionally he earned the right to be the savior. Look at verse 13 again. The God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob and the God of our fathers glorify his servant. Positionally, God nominated Jesus to be the savior of the world. He is God's servant. He is God's servant. The idea of God's servant is that Jesus is that person that God sent to deliver his people and he obeyed him. The servanthood of Christ rests around his active obedience and his passive obedience in the hand of his father. It's a title that he earned. It's a title. It's, it's a messianic title. The servant of Christ. The servant of God. You know, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, and the fathers of the faith in the Old Testament, to a large extent, were servants of God. But Jesus is the servant of God. Why? The idea of being a servant points to the issue of complete obedience. Jesus is the one that obeyed the Father completely. Now, Abraham was a servant of God until he was hungry, isn't it? He went to Egypt and started lying. As far as God is concerned, if you are his servant, 99% obedience is, is a non-obedience. All the men that came as type of Christ were not fit to be called the servants. So sometimes there are some of you who are growing bishops that only would like to be called servant of God. You want to be called the father of faith. You guys are daring, eh? I went for a meeting of this, some of these guys. And there was a guy, they were calling him apostle. I was like, you? Apostle, when? He said, Pastor, don't, don't worry. I, I just, I said, no, how are you, Apostle? <laughs> and when? 
I mean, the guy had no church, had no ministry, had no house, no address, nothing. He's not even preaching to anybody on the street. He's an apostle. Christ is the one that obeyed God. The entirety, and I've, I've quoted uh, John Murray several times, that the entirety of the work of Christ can be summarized around the theme of obedience. It is a complete obedience of Christ that delivered our salvation. Turn to Isaiah 42. Let me just show you how he earned the right to be a deliverer. Behold my servants, verse 1, whom I uphold, my choosing in whom my soul delights. I have put my spirit upon him. He will bring forth justice to the nations. He will not cry aloud or lift up his voice or make it heard in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a faintly burning wick he will not quench. He will faithfully bring forth justice and he will not grow faint. This theme, there's a four servant songs in the book of Isaiah. Let me just give you the passages so you can read at home. Isaiah 42 verse 1 to 4. Isaiah 49 verse 1 to 6. Isaiah 50 verse 4 to 9. Isaiah 52 verse 13. Isaiah 53 from verse 1 to 12. These are just the team of Messiah. That this guy, Jesus, earned the right to be the Savior. He is the servant of God. The servant of God. He is the Savior because of the theme of suffering. He, they put him to death. They delivered him to Pontius Pilate. And then he suffered. He suffered on behalf of his people. He tasted death for all of us. He hung on that tree for our salvation. This action, uh, the Bible says in the book of Luke 26, 24, Luke chapter 24, verse 26, that it was necessary for Christ to suffer. The kind of suffering he endured were peculiar to him. So he, he earned the right to be the savior. Uh, and then the vindication of Christ in his resurrection also points to the fact that he is the only savior. He is the only savior that God vindicated because in chapter 2 of Acts, verse, uh, chapter 2 of Acts, verse, uh, I can't remember clearly now, verse 24, the Bible says it was not possible for death to hold him down in the grave anymore because he's the righteous one. So the, his action, his, 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 the, the, his obedience to God and him, the right to be the savior of the world. And Peter is saying, you are wicked, but God had made the way of salvation in his son. This son you crucified, you murdered, but God raised him and now he is alive. And through him, this man is walking. By his name, this man is walking. The sermon of the apostle explained the cross. It explained the way of salvation. It also explained the power of Christ. Verse 16. And it said, in his name, by the faith in his name. Three times or two times faith were mentioned. And his name, there is a hyphen, by faith in his name, has made this man strong whom you see and know. And the faith that is through Jesus has given the man his perfect health in the presence of you all. 
Uh, Peter can say, see, this Jesus is not just a man dead and buried. God raised him. He's now in heaven. There is power in his name. He's reigning now at the right hand of the Father. And there is power present in his name. And by faith that Peter and John were doing, that they were exercising faith in Christ, trust in his name. And by the mention of his name, they were able to do this miracle. This man stood up so strong, healthy, complete, not partial. And all of them could see that this man that was lame is now walking. So this someone explained the cross. And, and that is the way a biblical someone should look like. It first of all brings about the crime of sin and then take us to the cross. Take us to the cross and then it explains the way of salvation and then explain the power of Christ in the gospel. That through the faith of Christ, through the faith that is in the name of Jesus, this man is walking in the presence of them all. This miracle was not done in secret. This miracle was done publicly in the presence of all those that were around the temple area. And this power, Christ earned by his obedience to his father. This power he earned by going to the cross and suffered. This power he earned by the vindication of the father in his resurrection. He is not just like Muhammad, like Buddha, like Fushus. He's a living savior. He's at the right hand of the father, but rules from there in and among his people. That the apostles were just exercising their faith in him and healing were happening. And then Peter is going to continue with the other aspect of what had happened that we shall see next week. But as as you have looked at these three points, let me just bring some points uh, of encouragement to us in this church. Let me speak to leaders and will-be leaders of the church. And to, to, to stress the point that we are channels only. That when all is said and done, we should be able to point people to Christ always and not to ourselves. Channels on there's a song. I don't think I think you have seen that song here. It said, How I praise thee, precious Savior, that thy love laid hold of me. Thou hast saved and cleansed me and feed me, that I might thy channel be. Channel only, blessed master. And then he continued. We are just we are channel, we are conduits. It is not by, uh, of course, power and holiness do play a part along the line. But our, the power and holiness that come to us by our faith in Christ Jesus is not the source of, of any extraordinary things that happen around us. When we preach the gospel and people come to faith, it is not that we are very eloquent. It is not because we went to a good seminary. It is the power of God. When, when, when all is said and done, we should look away from ourselves. We should look away from the phenomena. We should look away from the crowd. We should look away from the bank accounts of the church and fix our own eyes on Christ, our Savior. That he find us worthy to use us 
is but a humbling experience. And that should be our song. Secondly, to believers that are listening to me today, precisely because of our own context, if a miracle is a pointer, it's not, miracle is nothing in and of itself. Let me explain to you. If you are blind now and your eyes open this morning, it's a good thing. It's, it's a big deal. But guess what? You will die again, isn't it? One day you will go blind again and then you will be sick, you have arthritis, there will be cancer, you will be 89, you will be 90, you will be 95, you will die, you will buy a casket, you will be buried. There's something that is worse word than blindness and lameness. It's called sin. Anytime there's a miracle, maybe God does some wonders around us, around you. It should point you to Christ. The preacher or whoever is in that environment or yourself should be able to say, where is God in all of these things? The moment miracles begin to point to pastors, to preachers, and miracle is now making some preachers very, very wealthy and rich. Something is fundamentally wrong. Discipline yourself. It is Christ that saves. It is Christ alone that delivers. There is no power in Eliezer. It's just an instrument. Handing on to preacher is a waste of time. Do you understand what I'm saying? Handing on to preacher, my papa, my papa. You even have his picture on your wall. Some of you have the picture of your papa and your bangles. Some of you have a picture of your pastor underneath your pillow. Some of you have a picture of, a, of one man of God inside your car. You know, and these men of God have a way of embellishing the point. And they said, you know, they'll give testimony that somebody was going to die and then they said, if I, one big man said somebody, somebody died and they put his flyer, just his flyer, and the man came back to life. Or some say, they, I heard that last week, that the, the angel of death was coming to a particular house and saw the pastor sticker by the door and the and dead ran away. I said, okay, where is the sticker? I beg. Let's let the sticker. Let's put the sticker in National Hospital. All around National Hospital. And all those deaths that used to come to emergency rooms, like, ah, this pastor sticker is around, and then all of us will live forever and never die. You are the one making mess of yourself. Trust me. Trust me. And most of the miracles that you are even following are not genuine. They are, they are not clear. You cannot really put your hand on what they are calling miracles today. It must ultimately lead all of us back to the cross. The picture of that man hanging to Peter should be a picture of us hanging on to Christ. All our lives depend on the ministry of Christ. We must hang to him. We depend on him. And our eyes must be focused on him. That when something happens, you say, Jesus, what a wonderful God, what a wonderful Savior thou art. Thirdly, we should not allow the preaching of the cross to be an issue. This pattern of preaching should be what you should expect in every healthy assembly. That when the preacher stands before you to preach, the cross is highlighted. He shows you the cross quickly to the cross. 
and show you the way of salvation and highlighted the power of Jesus to save. Because all the diseases that were healed in the Bible are pictures, most of them are pictures of our sinfulness. It's better to be blind and be saved than to have two eyes and go to hell. I'm quoting Jesus, isn't it? He said, it is better to go into life with your eyes plucked out. And of course, there are lame people that are genuine Christians, true or false. You cannot even say, ah, if that pastor was a pastor, why in one leg, why in one leg, no, they walk, you no get power. You are insulting. If there is a blind man here preaching, don't even think, ah, how will this man see my father and the Lord in eye for down the open? No, no, no. The preaching of the cross, the Bible said the preaching of the cross is an offense to those who are perishing. He said, for us who are being saved, the cross is the power of God. Paul says in Romans 1, I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for the gospel is the dunamis of God unto salvation. The preaching of the gospel bore sinners. It excites the saints. On the hill far away, stood the old rugged cross, the emblem of suffering. And the cross is so I cherish the old rugged cross. And I will cling to the old rugged cross. She's not bore you. That should be expectation. If you sit in the church for an hour and you don't hear anything about sin, righteousness, cross, Jesus, it's about how a witch, a witch carry one person destiny and um, remember what I heard. I mean, somebody was preaching on this, this passage and it talks about how a witch for one village enter a person's head and then, I mean, how does this miracle get, get us from here to village in Okija. How do, how do we move from here to someone that cannot pass exam in school? How do we move from here and the concern should be, oh, uh, I can't have a, I can't have a husband. How can, how do we move from here? So to the extent that we are not moving to the cross, we are not representing Christ. Finally, let me talk to those who are not Christians. If you are in this church and you are a seeker, When you come to church, what have you come to? The message of the church, church exists to tell you this, is that we are sinful and God sent his son to save sinners by dying on our behalf. And that if you put your faith in Christ Jesus in his name, there is power in his name and you will be saved. It will save you. You know, yesterday in men's meeting, we were reading a portion of Spurgeon writing about how Satan, remind me, how Satan considered the Christians. And said, when Satan sit down and look at Christians, he's amazed. How God, the way of salvation is an amazement to both Satan and angels. 
holy angels does not need salvation and bad angels cannot be saved. So they stand in awe of believers. How could God save those that are saved? Salvation is a mystery. And if you're not a Christian, what you are doing is it. You are crucifying Jesus. It is the author of life. You are despising. What are you hanging on to? God did not raise Muhammad. He did not raise Confucius. And he did not raise Buddha. And all your forefathers, all our forefathers, were not raised by God. The resurrection of Jesus Christ proved the fact that he is the only way to God. And him, having been raised, those who put their faith in him shall be raised on the last day into eternal life. I come to Christ. Tests of God and see that he is good. Uh, what Your hang-ons will end up in hell. It will damn you. Because a day will come. You, you may think that, okay, well, I was not in Jerusalem. There's a song we used to sing. Were you there when they crucified my Lord? Were you there? It is a rhetorical question. But the answer should be what? What is the answer? Yes, we were there. Ashamed, I heard my mocking voice cried out among the scoffers. It was my sin that lay in there until it was accomplished. When they were shouting, crucify him, crucify him, Tam was standing there. Pastor Peter, Abutu was standing there. We're all standing there. We crucified him. That sin ought not to be forgiven, but for the love of God. And he said, if you but come to my son today, our sins are pardoned, cleansed, wiped, justifying him. And then there will be a new life. New life. And that is what we will pick up next time uh, when I return back to finish up chapter 3. Come to Christ and be saved. What a joy to have the cross. What a joy to have us be part of the cross. Christians, keep trusting him. Keep looking upon him. Don't be tired. Don't be bored. He's your savior. And we live by him. And we will die by him. One of these days, we shall see his face and we shall be like him. Father, we thank you for your word now. Take our eyes from our successes and failures and fix them on you alone. In Jesus' name.